Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to Talk Like a Lady. It's our podcast where we find out all about our favorite ladies. I'm Carly Morton. And I'm Jessica Fontana. <laughs> and today we're talking to Sierra Simone. Hi, guys. <laughs> um, she's from here in Kansas City. And she's also a very famous author, so there. Oh, I don't know about very famous, but... Just regular famous? I am an author. <laughs> Whatever, dude. Don't don't downplay I mean, it. Give like, me that right there for a second. This one? The book. No, the book. Oh, this one. I do believe <laughs> that the book says USA Today best-selling author. Yeah. Yes. Which... That's something. That's more author famous than us. Yep. <laughs> so. Fact. Super fact. <laughs> what are we drinking tonight, Sierra? We are drinking Tank 7, which <sighs> is a local Saison uh, from Boulevard Brewery, which is my, it's my go-to poison. It's honestly one of my favorite beers. I think... It might be the best beer in the world. I mean, I've had I beer. I think you might be right. Yeah. Like, I do like it. Also, now they make these 16-ounce tall boys so we can get real fucked up. It's a little dangerous. I mean, yeah, but it tastes so good. It tastes so good. The thing you need to know about Tank 7 is that it's like having two beers in one because it's so strong. Right. So, And that's like... One of the eight ounce pours that you're supposed <laughs> right. to do. Yeah, they can only they can only legally serve you so much at a time, which makes right. me happy. We should off air talk about how they used to have um, <clears throat> happy hours with three dollar tank sevens. Ooh, yeah, the danger, you guys, <laughs> the danger. The last Boulevard tour I did the tour guide joked about how everybody has a tank seven story so now every time i drink tank, tank seven i'm like is this gonna be my story <laughs> this is gonna be my story this could be it <laughs> this this might be it fingers <laughs> crossed oh, it's so good though um okay so i want you sierra to um, tell us about the featured badass lady that you brought to us. All right. So my badass lady, I learned about her um, two years ago. I read a book called Blood, Water, Paint, and it's a YA novel in verse, um, which is the entire story is told through poetry, and it's really beautiful. And it's about, um, it's based on the real story of Artemisia uh, Gentileschi. I hope I pronounced that right. I'm not Italian. I mean, it looks right. <laughs> um, but <laughs> she was a Renaissance slash Baroque period painter. Uh, she was the first woman admitted to Florence's Academy of Arts. Whoa. And um, she was... Inspired by Caravaggio, so her paintings are really dynamic with color and shadow and light, and she reframed um, biblical narratives with a feminist lens. So her most famous painting is uh, it's from the old it's a story from the Old Testament of a woman named Judith who was a leader of Israel, um, and she cuts off the head of her enemy uh, Holofernes. 
And so her most famous painting is this woman just like sawing off this guy's head and there's like blood spurting everywhere. And she's like roped in her servant to help like hold this guy down <laughs> so she can cut off his head. Oh God. <laughs> that sounds amazing. It is amazing. And it was the most um, lifelike depiction of that story that had ever ever happened. Um, men had painted that story very like sedately and kind of you know calmly like <laughs> Judith is just holding this head like here's a head I found you guys I did this <laughs> who's gonna understand the, the woman anger that would yes right. and so she was like know, no motherfucker there's this more blood sometimes <laughs> you gotta cut off the guy's head and one of the things I am really inspired by with Artemisia is that um she was actually um, content warning here. She was raped as a young teenager um, by her teacher. And she actually took the very uh, rare step of accusing him uh, publicly. And wow. it went to trial. And um, at that time in Florence in the late 1500s, if you accused of man a rape, you were tortured and not him Jesus. for the truth. So they actually put her hands in thumb screws and off, slowly man. broke her fingers and to try to make her recant. And she refused. Damn. So while her bones are literally breaking, she's like, no, he did this to me. It was him. He did it. Um, and so... She, like, won the trial. This guy was forced to flee. Um, and really, there was, I mean, there was a cost for her, reputation-wise. Right. But she um, was vindicated by the courts and able to go on and make a life for herself. And she became one of the most famous painters of her day. Whoa. So After all of her fingers got broken? After her hands recovered Holy and she went shit. back to painting. And so there's something about her... Um, her artwork where I think you can see her pain, her her despair, her rage, everything she really pours into the pictures in a really dynamic way. And so she's an inspiration because she was able to transmute this awful shit that happened to her um, into something that's so beautiful and vivid and that could, you know, give voice to something that women often feel, which is anger, which is why did this happen to me? Right, because that bullshit still happens. Yes. That's what I was going to say. It's All 2020 and women still aren't believed. So that's kind of sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's real. But that's we can, so cool. Like that, I just, I said this the last time, but right now in this day and age, it's it's hard to come out and say this happened to me. Sure. But um, the bravery that that took knowing what she would have to go through. What she would have to go through and indeed Ugh. did. Yes. And um, what's shocking is that she wasn't even able to bring a true case of rape to the court. The actual um, charge was brought by her father because she was her father's oh, yeah. property. property. And yes. so he was bringing the charge of like, my property was damaged. Like now she'll never be able to get married because you took her maiden head or whatever. Gross. Um, and so it's really, the cards were so stacked against her. Um, and so the kind of self-knowledge and clarity of purpose that it must have taken for her to say, no, like I will not let this stand. I will not let this slide. Um, and when you see the 
subject matter that she painted. So Judith and Holofernes and another story from the Old Testament, um, Susanna and the Elders, which is a another story of assault and a woman not being believed by her community. Like you can really see how much strength she drew from existing narratives. And so what I see in Artemisia is this legacy of women helping women, helping women through story and art. I mean, she sounds like a fucking badass. I'm going to go and look And she her was up. just a little, like, she was a young teenager when that happened. Yeah. That's so fucked up. That makes me angry. But also, that's but also, so I amazing. Kind of, like, I'm, <laughs> let's I'm be so friends. happy to know this story. Yeah, like, I know. I did not know that. Also, she deserved to to paint that. Right. <laughs> Yeah. She and she deserved to be the own the first woman to yeah. get into yeah. the super fancy art school. I mean, the King of England like invited her to England to paint for him, and um, so she ended up having a really successful international life. Um, and I think it's kind of a tragedy that we know so many names like Michelangelo and Caravaggio right. and yeah. Da Vinci, and we don't really know Artemisia's, even though she was definitely their peer. Um, and talent Dang. and skill. Well, she had a vagina, okay? <laughs> God. It's a real liability. I know. She's walking <laughs> around with that thing. I don't even know. It's such a distraction. Right. <laughs> what is the organization that you want to highlight tonight? Um, so in the spirit of Artemisia, um, I am highlighting this organization called Safe Home. Um, their web address is safehome slash ks.org. They're located um, in Kansas, uh, in Johnson County, and they provide shelter and support services for uh, women in need. So usually victims of intimate partner violence, um, but also other kinds of violence. And um, I first became aware of them because my husband is a police officer and uh, he works you know, he's had to work with them sometimes before, but they are so serious about protecting the women inside the location, which is not advertised. Like no one, you know, you don't find right. out where the address of this is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they're so serious about not letting men inside because some of these women are so traumatized that yeah. even being near a man who means well is difficult. So he even has trouble getting inside as a police officer because yeah. they are really dedicated to protecting that space for women um, while they're recovering and getting back on their feet. Um, so you can donate items. They're always taking donations for things like sanitary napkins, tampons, diapers, infant formula, clothes. You can uh, donate your time uh, and you can also donate money. Um, all of those are really worthwhile. And sometimes they also bring in speakers to talk on certain topics. So I think, oh, I wish I could remember who they had. It wasn't, oh, it wasn't Brene Brown. It was, um, oh, I can't remember her name now. But anyway, they had, uh, this really lovely woman in who's like super famous international. And she had like a big, uh, famous book, Love Warrior, Love Warrior, that's the name of the book? Uh, Glennon Doyle. Melton Doyle? I'm the worst. <laughs> no. no. You're actually not. <laughs> um, but anyway, they, uh, they had in the speaker, and I think they bring in people periodically that are, you know, just really Glennon interesting. Glennon Doyle. Glennon Doyle. Okay. I'm not insane. <laughs> nope. You nailed it. So um, it's an organization I really believe in. I really believe in their mission. 
Um, and I really believe in the people they're trying to care for and protect in our city. Yeah, that's, that's a that's a really that. good yeah. one. Yeah, and it's a very I mean the building itself is very secure. So when you're there, you're safe. Safe. Good. Safer than you were. So, did you grow up in Kansas? I actually grew up in Missouri. Oh. <laughs> Kansas City, Missouri? Or? Kansas City, Missouri. Mm. So, South KC. Um, very close to Grandview, but mm-hmm. still inside Kansas City. So, there's a part of um, the highways where, like, 49, 71, 435, they all meet. And it's called the Grandview Triangle. The worst place to drive it ever in the like history of ever. the anus <clears throat> of the city's traffic. It really is. And um, I grew up just next to it and actually so close to the highways that when they redid the highway, they had to tear down our house. Oh, so the city actually... Did you imminent- get a nice house? No. The oh, city damn. actually like, imminent mm. domain your house. And what happens oh, with imminent domain that. is they definitely give you like the Less. lowest possible yes. market value. Um, well, so rude. It is rude. So yes, that's where I grew up. Um, and so South Kansas city near Bannister mall and that part of Grandview, that was really like my childhood incubator. Your stomping grounds. My stomping grounds. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you weren't, uh, like looking out the window at the highway and writing, uh, whimsical stories about highways and stuff <laughs> no you know whimsical what i did, stories what about I did highways. find out was um my favorite highway activity is actually very illegal and that was watching my stepfather throw m80s jesus, over oh, jesus christ <laughs> it yep. seemed like good fun at the time right <laughs> how many heart attacks did that cause <laughs> so when my uh, parents moved when the house was in eminent domain. They moved out to a place called Kingsville, Missouri, which is kind of out by Lone Jack. Okay. And I was not interested in going there. Sorry, good citizens of Kingsville. But um, I just knew it wasn't for me. It's very far away. <laughs> so my dad actually lived in Olathe. Um, and so I moved to Olathe. Um, we grew up in, so I, I had spent time there as well in Olathe. Um, and he lived in a trailer park and fun fact about this trailer park, it was managed by a serial killer when I was a child. Shit. Yeah, dude. John Robinson. He put ladies in barrels. Yes. Oh my gosh. Can we not say one? Can we not say yes to that? No. Although I get the true crime excitement. No, I think, yeah, no, that's horrible. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it like that. Uh, uh, that's one real of, fucked one up. of our bosses like had a connection to that. Mostly your boss, I thought. Your boss's brother. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I like, forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, he managed the trailer park while I was growing up there. As so a, you had a, contact a with this guy? I am sure, because sometimes my dad and I would walk up to drop off the rent at the office, mm-hmm. and I remember handing it to a man. So I'm certain, I mean, it was the right time. I'm certain it was right. him, but um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you've completely like written it out of your I mean, brain. It was like, I mean, you were little. When you're little, it's like the least interesting thing. Oh, some yeah. Some old man, dude. You know, and checks and Also, errands. when I was that little and my dad was like, go pay for bought. I'm like, eh. I was like so nervous right. and yeah. shy. Yeah. yeah. My yeah. mom would be like, walk up to that window and get me cigarettes. 
Yeah. <laughs> and they'd do it. Right. Because it was the 80s. Man, I guess maybe early 90s. I don't know. These but... kids today, they don't know. So, okay, so you grew up in Kansas City, Missouri, and obviously your parents, were they ever married? Yes. So they were married when I was very young, okay. shotgun wedding. And okay. um, I'm, so I'm technically in the wedding pictures. Nice. <laughs> um, and then they split when I was young. So um, Do you remember it at all? I don't. Okay. I don't. So my dad stayed in the trailer um, and my mom uh, moved to Missouri. And so we hopped around a little bit with my mom. Um, but pretty early on when I was like seven, she fell in love with my stepdad. And so they married and that was the house that got torn down. Um, and then my dad remarried, um, to my stepmom around the same time. They actually both got remarried in the same year. Um, and so, yeah, they got remarried and, um, do you have any siblings? I have, uh, two step siblings. So, um, a little sister and a little brother, um, and the little brother lived with his dad, so I didn't get to see him very much. But my stepsister lived with me, okay. and we fought. <laughs> she was five years As younger. As sisters do. Well, so looking back, I'm like, why was I so, like, upset, you know, that she right. was – clearly she was young, and she just wanted to be near me. Right. And there was nothing worse to, like, I don't know, 11-year-old me than that's, having That's a big age difference, though. Yeah. yeah. Right. My boys are four and a half years apart, and I try to – not make the oldest always be because I get it. It's hard, but well, yeah. and you know, my stepmom was super great about yeah. that. She always um, was really uh, intentional about protecting my autonomy. You know, like my room yeah. is my room. I don't mm-hmm. have to play with anyone I don't want to play with. Like she definitely recognized that. In addition to just being an older sibling, I was very introverted and kind of silky yeah. as yeah. a child. Um, so she really let me kind of come come to the sibling table on my own terms, which Good. looking back, I'm really grateful for. Cause yeah. I think now as a parent, I'm like with Barbie dolls, like, no, you will play together. <laughs> going to play together. Best God friends. damn it. <laughs> so are they still married with, um, so my mom actually passed in oh, 2016. So sorry. It's okay. And my, so my stepdad's still in Kingsville. He's a trucker. And, um, my stepmom and my dad split when I was in college. Um, and so now she lives in Richmond, Virginia, which is one of my favorite cities in the world. So I get to visit Richmond Oh, nice! and, um, she's like dog rescuer 911. She rescues German shepherds (gasps) and like half the time they're pregnant. So then she has just like live cams of puppies, which is my favorite puppy in the world. It's her most favorite. And all she wants. Oh, Oh, with the floppy ears. Oh, Oh, they're so cute. They're so cute. Were they they cop dogs or they're just like, you just want German shepherds? I think they're mostly, oh, my dogs, they're just rescues. They are not cop dogs. They are very undisciplined. I say cop dogs. And they would be (laughs) terrible canines. They would just be the worst. Did you guys, have you guys seen that video of the canine that fails? Oh, fails no. all of the tests He's and just like, to be like knocks over yes. wheelchairs and like <laughs> no I like, have to watch it's pulls so the, beautiful it's pulls the, the like refrigerator yes. out from the wall yes. trying to open it it's like and there you know it's, the guy's not at, doesn't actually have to use a walker but he's pretending yeah. and he totally like yanks the walker oh out of his God. hand and then trying to and get the, the leash, ball yes 
Oh, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, amazing. Oh, yeah. He pulls someone mm-hmm. out of a chair with mm-hmm. a leash. It's the, it's the best dog <laughs> video you can watch. Oh, it's fantastic. Seriously, we don't deserve dogs. We don't. No. They're the greatest. Look at this one. Yeah, he's precious. <laughs> he's baby. He's just a little baby. So, besides, um, well, and or you can go into more detail, but yeah, um, sounds like mom and stepmom were pretty big influencers as women in your life. I were there any other women that were influencing? Um, definitely my grandmas. So I have two extremely different grandmas. Um, and it's really fascinating to watch them together because they're like matter and antimatter. So one, <laughs> do they get is, along? They do, but mostly because one grandma is incredibly sweet and the other grandma is incredibly tolerant. It's sort of like <laughs> a cat and a dog if you watch them okay. together. So, um, my one grandma is very dainty and ladylike and always has her nails painted and her hair dyed, never a gray hair, that kind of grandma. Um, and she was also like really great, like role model. She went back and she got her MBA in her like fifties and graduated like magna cum laude while she was working full time as the VP of personnel at Sprint in the nineties. I mean, she had this like closet of the like 80s businesswoman power suits with the shoulder pads and you would have like the, the skirt suit with the matching pumps, you know, like the pumps were the same color as the suit. (laughs) And I mean, just, there's no other way to do it. No other way to do it. And she was just always so deeply intellectual. Her house was filled with books. When I would go over and spend the night, we would play office and isn't that like, I, it's like a universal kid game. If there's oh, like a good yeah. desk with like staplers and paper and maybe a calculator that oh, prints out. Yeah. The, yeah. That's the most fun thing to play or with. The t- or a typewriter. A I type would do writer. that she at my mom's writer. work. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and so our, and my grand, the man she was married to, my step grandpa, he was a huge reader. So whenever I was over, if I was bored, they were like, pick up a book. Um, and so that was, right. <laughs> and I mean that my parents were the same way, but there is something about having that reinforced outside of your parents. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's really valuable cause I really wanted to impress my grandma. Like I really wanted her to see that I was smart <laughs> and <laughs> look grandma, I can read. I know. And then my other grandma, my, my paternal grandma is like super tough, no nonsense, like had four kids with, you know, at home with no medicine. <sighs> My gramps was in the air force. So she moved to the Philippines. She moved to Germany. You know, she was just like super tough, tough and super fierce. Um, but like, I mean, she's a lot more blunt than like dainty grandma, uh-huh. <laughs> dainty book grandma. <laughs> dainty book. <laughs> That's funny. And so I feel like, like constant when I, when I look at them, it's like both parts of my personality. Yeah. Like I can see the more like the part of me that, you know, wishes I was born in England so I could have a nice accent. And, you know, the part of me that became a librarian. And then I see the other part of me that's like, no, I'm going to talk about strap-ons at regular like volume <laughs> on this airplane. <laughs> on this airplane to this person and that does not know me. This person that does not know me. And, yes, I'll take a second gin and tonic. Thank you, <laughs> flight attendant. Note to yeah. self. Just bring Sit me next two... to Sierra on a plane. <laughs> 
Just bring me two to start with and yeah, keep them we'll going. Keep coming. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> I would sit next to you on a plane. Yeah. We'd have a good time. Oh, I don't know yeah. that the people around us would no, have fuck those as people. good of a time, but you and I would they'd have a good the, time. They'd be the ones like... I like getting on tweeting. Twitter, yeah. like, like I'm sitting next Delta, to these women, like <laughs> these Delta bitches. customer service. These people are talking about strap-ons and dildos. That's <laughs> disgusting. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Welcome to the jungle. Here. <laughs> oh, and then God. like point like this and then get real mad. <laughs> yeah. Well, you had this whole thing like. You just have a story in your head. About yeah, it. it's a lot. It happens a lot. It's already fan fiction. You've already written yeah, it. Yeah, I already wrote it. It's fine. I'm a very good writer. <laughs> just kidding. I'm not. So did you like school? I loved school, but I I will say that I wasn't the best student um, because I really latched on to the things that I cared about and then did not care so much <laughs> about the other things. So right. once... You know, once it became apparent to me that I was someone who loved to read and to write, like that was where I spent all my energy. So I was the kid who was like during math class reading a book under the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and in high school, I was definitely using every spare moment I could to either write or read what I wanted to do, even when I should have been paying attention to other classes. Yeah. So my like math and science scores were not. Yeah, not awesome. Same. Until I could go, you know, when I got to college and they have, they kind of open up the science classes you can take in college. And so when I could take astronomy and in particular things like anthropology, where you can kind of make stories about what you're learning. Yes. That really connected with me. I always struggled with math because there's not really a story in math for you to find. Math makes 0%. Like it doesn't make sense in my brain at all. No. Like, I just, I don't get it. Same. And everyone's like, math is the only thing that makes sense. Numbers are always numbers. I'm just like, I don't, I cannot I can't say that it doesn't make sense, but I have to work at it. It doesn't come, like, naturally to me. Oh, man. My kid's homework, though. I'm just like, shoot me. It's rough. The thing I think about is that we really, in our culture, in American culture at least, which is all that I can speak to, we really do have a narrative of, like, you're one or the other. Mm, And I do sometimes wonder if I hadn't picked up on that narrative, you know, if I had been sort of like the baby ex who doesn't know whether they're one or the other, if I'd been the baby ex of reading or math, um, maybe I would have tried harder. Like, maybe, because clearly... I didn't know how to read at some point. You know, I didn't know right. how to write. And so I worked at it because I found it rewarding and I knew the more I worked at it, the better I would get. And if someone had told me that that would be the same with math, like maybe my life would have turned out very differently. Because I right. do think math is like a muscle that you have to exercise yeah. and then it can get strong. I have not exercised that muscle. No, nor have I. <laughs> and like I keep trying to tell the kid I'm like no you're good at math you're good at it she's like I like fractions and I'm like that's so cool like <laughs> and I try to be try to not say things like I hate math because it's stupid um because she still has lots of school to go through <laughs> and well, she but... can't think that math is stupid <laughs> I also do think though there are certain people who are going to do things that 
will need math. Yeah. And then there are certain people like you seem to value being creative and art and just any kind of art form. So to me, like it makes sense that that's where you gravitated to. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I do think. uh, I mean, it wouldn't have hurt. Like, like, you know, it's never a bad thing to learn things. But when I first started really developing myself as a writer in college, um, I used to really think that writing was and storytelling and all art was purely democratic, like lowercase d democratic, and that anyone <laughs> could learn. You know, that anyone could pick up a paintbrush and be taught. Um, but actually, the longer I've been, <laughs> you guys are shaking your heads. Nope. You're like, no, no, no. <laughs> the longer I have been um, in publishing and then adjacent to art and music world, the more I think that some of it is inherent. Like some of it just has to be um, implicit to who you are and you can get better, like skill and craft can be taught, but there has to be this kernel. And I do think that that kernel for mathematical thinking is missing in me a little bit. But you know, the solution is you just marry someone who's good at math and then you're all set. Right. (laughs) Right. No. Are you good at math, Tyler? <laughs> He's nodding. Yes. Oh, good. He's brilliant. It was, it was a everything. modest nod. It was really. Oh, yeah. everything he does. He, uh, he's not gonna like yell. So you said that you, in high school, you would spend a ton of time writing. What kind of stuff were you writing back then? So, um, in large part, it was. King Arthur fiction, which is like the nerdiest possible thing I can say. Dude, I would totally read it. (laughs) Um, And so I'd always written sort of random short stories and I really gravitated always towards what we would say is like speculative fiction. So horror or fantasy or sci-fi, you know, stuff where like light reality was bent a little bit. Um, But my one true love in high school was King Arthur I know Carly's I mean, like, yeah. come on. <laughs> Listen, can come I just on. say that Charlie Hunnam plays King Arthur in a movie? Yeah. Whoa. So he's yes. one of my true loves, so I'm okay yes. with that. <laughs> <laughs> so I um, uh, started writing a King Arthur novel when I was in high school, and then I was lucky enough, the year I was a senior at Olathe North, they had created this program called Distinguished Scholars, And it was all about, like, in different specialties, like language arts, uh, international languages, art, math, science, um, the the kids who could test into it, right, um, would be pulled into this program and they would have an hour of sort of, I mean, I guess we would call it gifted curriculum, Mm -hmm. Um, but it would be specifically in this area of interest for you. And so I tested into the English one and they actually didn't have a curriculum for the seniors yet. (laughs) They were developing it from the ground up. So they had mostly sophomores in the program and they were developing it for the sophomores. But for the seniors, they were like, well, what do you want to do? (laughs) Go go dance, I guess, in a room. And so I was like, I'm going to write a novel and that's going to be my senior project. And so that's what I did. I wrote a King Arthur novel. Do you still have it? I do. Will you let me read it? It's so bad. I I don't care. It's mostly 
like Harry Potter fan fiction, except King Arthur is Harry and Mordred is Draco. And <laughs> they're making shruggy, like, what's not to love We're going to shrug, shrug face at shrug you. Face. We're going to shrug emoji. <laughs> Great. Yeah, it was a lot of fun to write. So that was my that was my first kind of foray. And I, in high school, had been... I wanted to be so many different careers, guys. And now I just took the Strengths Finder class. Um, <laughs> do you guys know Strengths Finder? Do you have to do it at your corporate jobs? Uh, no. We don't have corporate jobs. We're not at a corporate job. <laughs> no. We work at a nonprofit. Yeah. Oh. That's actually, no, nonprofits do this shit too. Yeah, they so, do. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm actually, so I'm doing Strengths Finder. Um, for writers, which is a course taught by a woman named Becca Syme. And it's changed my life, man. It's blown my mind. So anyway, they index your strengths. And now that I have seen what my strengths are, I'm like, well, of course, this is the list of jobs I wanted to be. So I wanted to be a nun for like a long time uh, until I realized that nuns can't have sex. Well, actually, I knew that part first, but I didn't realize what sex really was until I was like 14. And then right. I was like, oh, oh no, oh no, not yeah. for me. And then, <laughs> and then you got in high school and you're like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then I wanted to be, um, a missionary and then I wanted to be a theologian and then I wanted to be a journalist. I was the editor in chief of my high school newspaper, co-editor in chief, actually. Um, I don't want to leave out don't want to like step on any toes i don't want to step on any toes um (laughs) and then i wanted to be a theologian again but then when i wrote the the harry potter not harry potter king arthur novel freudian slip there um when i wrote that first novel i realized that i wanted to be a novelist so i'd always like everything i'd wanted to do was kind of writing or religion adjacent. Mm -hmm. Um, but it wasn't until I completed my first novel that I was like, yes, this, like this is for whatever reason, this medium makes complete sense to me. Do you enjoy doing research? Because just reading a She's a librarian. I know you're (laughs) a librarian, but just like the amount of research that you would have had to just do for one book, I'm just like, oh, yeah, uh, can I just make it up? <laughs> well, I do like Go on to sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> I do like making things up, but I do love research. So my strengths, I know you guys are you know hankering to know them, yes. but I'm just going to tell you real yes, fast. Actually. They're context, intellection, Input, learner, and connectedness. So you can just hear with like context and input and learner. I'm all about gathering mm-hmm. information to myself. And as you mentioned, I was a librarian for a while at Johns County Library. And um, so I'm just wired for for research, for input. Like it just makes sense to me. And I feel like I'm always in default research mode. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to, this is a really gross analogy. I'm sorry that I'm about to deploy <laughs> this for you. Um, <laughs> but I sometimes joke that a, that a writer's brain is a little bit like, um, do you guys remember in the nineties, that toy gack that yes. was yes. like a sticky kind of putty yes. gel. Uh-huh. It was like slime. It yeah. was like slime. These kids, they think it was they more solid. Slime. Maybe. Yeah. It was more like, 
Ublek, but it yeah. was, um, yep. <laughs> it was, uh, sticky. And so if you dropped it on the floor once it was over, yeah. like, you know, it had every dust bunny and crumb that had ever lived on your floor. So I joke that a writer's brain is that sticky, you know, like, so we're rolling through life on the floor of life. On the floor. If I'm going to extend this metaphor <laughs> and you just start picking things up and you never know when they're going to come in useful. You know, you never know when like one detail is going to be just the detail you need or when one story is going to be the story that you end up writing an entire book about five years later, but you just sort of keep gathering it to you and letting it accrete over time. Um, and so I feel like I'm always sort of in default, like input mode, you know, I'm always trying to sort of fill my well. Um, and then when I have a series or a story, I know I'm about to write I start to get more intentional about it. So um, you gestured to the Thorn Chapel books. So the series I'm writing right now, um, the first book in the series is called A Lesson in Thorns. And the series takes place in Devon in England um, in a place called Dartmoor. I actually went to Dartmoor. Oh, no, you had to travel there and I go know. to it so Isn't you could my see job, it with your face? My job is the worst. Oh, man, how horrible. <laughs> so I had to take this terrible work trip where I just wandered <laughs> around the moors and then wandered into pubs after I got too cold mm-hmm. <laughs> and drank Fun. the night away. And, um, and so then I also pulled together... Every single book, this is like my favorite part of writing a book actually, is the (laughs) part where I go to the library, I get on Amazon and I'm like, okay, I'm going to order this, I'm going to order this, I'm going to order this, I need to know this, I need to know this. Um, And then I have a stack of books and just that pure potential when you're starting a story and you have all this research to do and you have all these places it can go and you never know when you're going to find that just like one sentence in a 40-year-old book that's just going to like change the entire way you're approaching the series. That's my favorite part. And then you have to write it and you're like, God. And then I have to write it and I'm like, what did I do to myself? This is terrible. (laughs) I bet you're just like fucking awesome at trivia. Do you want to go like hang out at a trivia night? I've actually never done a trivia night. I will say that the minute I turned 30, it was like my brain was like, you know, when you update an iPhone too many times and then it starts running real slow. Mm -hmm. That's how I'm beginning to feel. Oh, yeah, it's a real thing. I used to have, like, a mind, like a steel trap, and now... Yeah, sometimes I can't remember my kid's name, and I only have one, <laughs> you know? It's just like, what the fuck is going on in here? What is going on? Do I have you early guys. onset dementia? I mean, I might. I don't know. Okay, so you went to college. What degree did you get? So I got an English degree with an emphasis in creative writing, But I will say I had to major in that or else I would have dropped out. Right. (laughs) Because um, I think if I had majored in something like business or psychology or something like that, I education, I inevitably would have dropped out because I really have to be kind of spiritually connected to what I'm doing in order to do it with a passion, which is why, you know, I really loved being a librarian because I really believe in what libraries do for democracy and what they do for humanity. Um, it's something I'm really passionate about. So I could withstand hours of bureaucratic meetings and sort of like weird, tiny political backstabbing that happens (laughs) when you're in a county government situation. Yes. Um, I could withstand it. 
because I was so passionate about what I was doing. But if I wasn't passionate about what I was doing, then my, uh, my tolerance gets real low, real fast. Yeah. Uh, that's why I got a journalism degree because it was the least amount of math classes that I had to take. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Um, so then you went, um, you were a librarian. Were you writing books and publishing books while you were? So I, um, I had a couple odd jobs after college and I was still writing. I was a front desk lady at a chiropractic office. I modeled for a painter. I, um, worked in a pottery studio not far from here. Um, I, what else did I do? I gave tours at the Johnson County Museum of History of the 1950s All Electric House. I dressed up in a poodle skirt. Uh, that sounds fun. Escorted people around. And then I also did, um, you guys familiar with what living history is? Mm Mm-hmm. So nerdy. So I did living history out at a one-room schoolhouse called Lanesfield, nice. where I would dress up like a 1904 school marm, and then field trips of kids would come in, and then I would terrify them. Actually, I feel like this is like my <laughs> this was my entree to kink, and I just realized it just now. Um, <laughs> was scaring the fuck out of children because, as mean, a school marm. The like, whole mm. like uh, attitude. Like you, you can't actually hit children anymore, or so I hear. Um, which is what actual school moms did to naughty children. Like you would right. actually get paddled or beaten or whatever. Hit with a what is it? A yardstick. A yardstick. So you couldn't actually do that. So you had to have a, a bearing though, where children would be actually terrified of you just by the way you were walking and talking around them. And so, um, when you become, when you're in school marm training, (laughs) they train you, um, to use a sort of voice, not to use eye language. So right now in our day and age with children, we are predisposed to use eye language, which is, um, I feel like you're not listening to me. I feel like you're struggling with this. So that's not the way that people used to talk to children. Uh, no. Yeah. People used to talk to children like they were like dogs, basically. So. Yes. <laughs> and so um, you kind of get trained into how to curate your language to seem cruel. Um, and then the things you can do to scare children. <laughs> so you do have your stick and you can whack it on their desk like right in front of them uh, when they least expect it. You can make them write lines on the board to humiliate them. You can draw a circle on the chalkboard and make them like stand with their nose in the circle. Why were we trying to scare children? Well, that because was part of the was, experience. I she know, just wants but... them to know what it, how easy they have it now. Oh, yes. I mean, that is are. like... The funny thing is that's what the teacher's bringing the kids in for the field trips. Like, do you remember that book, Miss Nelson is Missing? They wanted you to be like the swamp teacher who's mean to the kids. And then, you know, she leaves and everyone's like, we miss Miss Nelson. Right. So they want, you know, you to scare the kids. So they're so grateful when they go back to their regular teachers. So the idea is really, though, to give them the full experience of a 1904 school day. Um, They have to eat their lunch out of like pails and... Stuff like that. Lunch? What's lunch? Get out there and mine some ore or something. No, I think we actually made them call it dinner instead of lunch. And if they called it lunch, you would be like, you know, lunch shamed. (laughs) Vocabulary shamed. (laughs) Um, 
And so I had these odd jobs and then I finally was like, okay, you've been writing for a while. At that point I had tried to get some books published and hadn't done it. I was like, you need to get a big girl job. So I, I had worked as a page at the library early on in college. And so I came back as something called an information specialist. And that's sort of like the poor person's librarian. So if you don't have a master's degree in library science, um, you can be an info spec as they're called sometimes or an info. And you do work the reference desk. You provide reader's advisory. You do all the things that we traditionally think of a librarian doing. Um, and so I went and the, like two months after I went back to the library, I sold my first book. So nice. I ended up working at the library and then publishing concurrently for a little while. So at that, was it a romance novel at that it point? It was a young adult novel okay. uh, called Landry Park under my, my government name, <laughs> Bethany Hagen. <laughs> and um, so I was publishing uh, those books with Penguin as I was working at the library. Yeah. Nice. And then I started self-publishing as Sierra Simone in 2015, and that was also the year I left the library. Mm-hmm. So the the nice the nice folk of the library did not have to cope with me writing smut. <laughs> Wait a second. So I got to finish you this got, is that when you changed your like, name? So I actually started Sierra um kind of as uh, like throwaway thing. So I was writing young adult books and, um, the traditional publishing process is a pretty slow and like arbitrary process. So, you know, you turn in a first draft and your editor will get notes back to you either in a couple weeks or in eight months. <laughs> like I mean, you just, you just don't know. That's um, fine. And then you'll make the edits and you'll send it back in. And then maybe you'll get more notes back in two weeks or eight months. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that process repeats like four or five times. And so you end up having these really weird gaps of time. Um, that doesn't help a creative process. You well, and you're always supposed to be, you know, <laughs> you're always supposed to be working on your next thing. Right. Um, but I was kind of in a position where... Um, all the YA ideas I was working on were things that my agent and my editor were not excited about. And then it ended up that I had to rewrite my second book a few times. And that was actually really looking back. I'm like, that's so adorable that I was traumatized by that. Um, (laughs) but it was really difficult when I first went through it because it was the first time that someone had ever said, well, we did have faith in you, but now <laughs> you failed us. Thanks, we hate it. <laughs> yeah, we hate it. You need to start over again. There's nothing here that can be salvaged. What? And so it was like a really, like, it's a difficult thing to go through creatively the first time. I mean, I don't think it ever gets super easy, but you definitely begin to uh, deal with it better and metabolize that kind of criticism better the older you get. But, um, I don't think I would, <laughs> I would just cry a lot. I mean, it's still, you still cry a lot, but you oh, cry okay, more good. efficiently because then oh, you're good. like, I need to cry. I need to drink. And in five days I'll be okay. Right. But at that time, you know, I was only like 25 or 26 and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe I suck. Um, and I really fell out of love with writing for the first time in 15 years since I had started writing for myself. I was like, I don't like to do this. Maybe I'm not good at this. And so a good friend of mine, my critique partner, was like, why don't you write something that's just for you, that you're not going to try to pitch to your agent or your editor, 
Um, so no one can say no to it. Like basically do something just for you where there's not a fear of rejection mm-hmm. kind of umbrellaing over it. And so I was like, okay, okay, what do I want to do? What do I want to do? I'm going to write Jane Eyre fan fiction. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Do it. <laughs> so that's what I started doing. I started writing. Um, it was around the time the Michael Fassbender, Jane Eyre. Uh, from, yes, please. Yes, please, where he's please. in those, like, yes. tight pants. <laughs> the and tight you're, like, pants and, like... The tight, like, is it a waistcoat? Yeah, it's like his... I don't know where you got the inspiration. Narrow hips and flat tummy, and you can tell when he has to pick a side with his pants. Oh, man. (laughs) That's the Mr. Rochester I'm here for. Now, that's all we want in this world. Um, So I... No baggy pants, please. No baggy pants. I mean, this is why we love Colin Firth and Pride and Prejudice, right? Oh. So, Sorry. Sorry yeah. for the grunt. Oh, no, was, she's not. It came from a, a primal place, I could tell. Oh, I love him so much. I know. <laughs> and, like, so much. And he um, really inspired me. So I was writing Smutty Jane Eyre fan fiction, and then yes. that same friend was like, you know, why don't you kind of turn this into, like, an original story, like, using all the same... We didn't have the language for it then, but now I would call it ids. And ids are sort of this um, just elemental things and stories that you love and they don't really, you don't really have an explanation for why. Mm -hmm. So like some people really love the Titanic. Some people really love orphan stories. Some people really love um, spaceships. And there's not like a reason. It's not like you can be like, well, my father beat me with a spaceship when I was little. (laughs) (laughs) And now I have to look at a spaceship while I jerk off or something. Like, right. <laughs> like so how do you know my story? <laughs> and um, so, so the idea is, is that sometimes you just like things, you know, sometimes right. there's not some deep pathological reason. Sometimes you just like foggy houses in Yorkshire and brooding men who may have killed their wives. <laughs> I mean, sometimes. Sometimes. You might sometimes just like you it. You want to read about it. So I turned it into an original fiction, uh, and that became the Markham Hall series, which is my very first Sierra publishing experience. And I was like, well, I'm just going to throw it up there because I literally, this is not where my career is. Clearly, I'm a young adult author. I'm only ever going to write these stories to make myself happy. I'm never going to write a story I don't want to write for Sierra because I already had to do that as Bethany and it was really hard. So anyway, I picked the name Sierra Simone um, because it's my porn star name. So (laughs) Sierra Circle is the street I grew up on. (laughs) And then Simone was my middle name. So I was like, all right, street I grew up on, middle name, Good Boom. Enough. Boom. Nailed it. Nailed it. It's a good name. Pen I mean, name. yeah. Uh, Isn't it? It sounds your romancy. pin name? What would Sierra's middle name be? But it flows too. Oh. What would Sierra's middle it's name gotta be? It's got to be like, I don't know if it's got to be like super, super extra or just like Marie. Basic. Mm-hmm. Basic. <laughs> I think it would be McCallan 12. Like Sierra McCallan 12 Simone. Ooh. Oh, wow. It, or maybe Sierra Single Malt Simone. So, oh, yes. Yes, yes. We're just, everyone calls you Single Malt. Single Malt. That's my code name. That's your code name. <laughs> Agent Single Malt. <laughs> Agent Single Malt. Got you. So, while you're writing all this smut, which I love, <laughs> right. 
I had to mm. I had to stop listening to Priest while I was at work today because yeah, I did. did because of reasons. <laughs> I was just like, ooh. Well, I can't listen to this at work. Oh, not with Jacob Morgan reading it. I mean, fuck I me. mean, that even when he's talking about like Father Bell making coffee or whatever. I know. You're he's like, like oh, oh, I'm just going to make some coffee and go for a jog. And I'm like, why? why if you guys have not listened to Jacob Morgan's voice, I highly recommend going to Amazon and just searching for a sample oh my God. of anything he reads because his voice will instantly <sighs> hit you it hits you right, right there, right, right in the right sacral in the chakra. Yeah, like, bam. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I'm going to Weston. I'm gonna see if I can find me a fucking hot priest. And then I was like, wait, no, I'm at work. No. Fuck, fuck. Is right. Weston is Who so close. What year is it? Is it weird that whenever I was like looking for your books and everything, and I saw priest, I immediately thought of the priest in Fleabag. Oh yeah, because I love him. I so much. have yes. Fleabag has been uh, like really great for bringing like a fresh wave of readers. In. I noticed. Uh, <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, that's so. Fu- so I'm not the only one. Okay. No, no, no. There's. So, um, I'm not original, is what you're saying. You fucking poser. <laughs> I got nothing. I'm like the hipster of romance reading, apparently. <laughs> so while you're writing all this smut, what was your dating life like? So I was married. Okay. I actually got married. On my 18th birthday, I had to have my parents sign my marriage certificate because I applied for it when I was still 17. Jesus. So they had to sign it. So I got married on my birthday, turned 18. Holy shit. Like Bella Swan and Twilight. Oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Wait, did you sulk at a window for days and days and days? Yeah. That was basically from like sophomore year to senior year was like, how can I stare pensively at a window while I'm listening to Coldplay and burning a candle? Yeah. (laughs) I I mean, you did that, right? (laughs) Well, yeah. I lived in Tonganoxie. There was nothing else to do. Tonganoxie, except withstand tornadoes. Well, yeah. I tried to wrangle tornadoes because you wrangle things when you live in Tonganoxie. When you live in the Midwest, but... that's what you do. You wrangle things. So, wow. When did you... So you're like a success story for getting married at 18. Yeah. And you know what I credit it to is both of my parents being serial monogamous. Um, my mom was married five times. Um, my dad is definitely <laughs> the king of, I fucking love getting married, man. I just can't love it so much. Ooh. Her dad was married five times. Um, everyone in my life was like, like they would meet someone and be like, yes, love let's, of my life. Move in I immediately. I love you. Let's marry. I can in put, love with love. Yeah. I can fill my bathtub full of beer and call it a wedding reception. Like <laughs> we can, we can do this. And do you want to do that right now? <laughs> we can do that right now. We can have Let's a wedding reception, a trailer it. park wedding reception Let's right now. Let's fucking do this. And um, I could roll up like lunch meat in a tortilla and oh, cut it into like the pinwheels. Yes. They're pinwheels. <laughs> trailer park reception. Mm-hmm. Um, so do I you think... want a PBR or not? Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the jungle. So <laughs> we got serial killers. We got PBR. <laughs> what else do you need? Love lasts forever. Love you. <laughs> Just like a barrel. Oh, I should oh. that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I'm you sorry. 
<laughs> sorry. Are you? I'm not sorry. I'm probably sorry to that someone. That was a full circle. Okay. I love it. Yeah, time is a flat oh. circle of the podcast. <laughs> So I, I think we are a success story, but I think the reason why is because I watched lots of different kinds of relationships get modeled for me. Um, healthy ones, not so healthy ones, good ones that like, you know, kind of inevitably ran their course. And then like ones that could have lasted forever. I got to see lots of different marriages. Um, and so when I fell in love with my husband, we, like by the time we were six, I was 16. He was, he was older than me. He was 20. I was like, I'm going to marry this boy. And so everyone was like, don't do it. No one who gets married young is happy. Uh, you're definitely going to get divorced. And I was like, sure. Like, I'm not scared of divorce. (laughs) I mean, that's actually like the beneficial part of living through so many divorces was, I knew that I would be okay if I got divorced. Yeah, you were like, nah, that fucking shit happens. That shit happens. And I had seen people do it badly, but I had also seen people do it really well. Like, I had seen people get divorced and and stay friends, co-parent peacefully. Like, I knew it could be done. And so I wasn't scared that we might get divorced. And I actually... you were like, yeah. Yeah. I was like, if it happens, it happens. Go ahead. Yeah. 50% of marriages end in divorce, whether or not you get married at 18 or 38. So I was like, I'll be fine no matter what happens. And I think really having that attitude and also because so many people were like, it's a bad idea. And then because I'm a researcher, even at 16, I was like, (laughs) so we'll go to counseling. We're going to buddy read all these books. (laughs) Here, I underlined the parts that you should read twice. I did. And I mean, we each had our own copy, but obviously, (laughs) obviously. this one's yours. I've highlighted everything in orange. But I definitely be concerned if his copy was not as marked up as mine. Right. Um, so we put a lot of prep work into being babies who were getting married. Right. And so you were 18 and he was 22. He was 22. Okay. Look, I can do math guys. <laughs> Way to go. Yes. Good job. Listen, that math serves you. <laughs> so who knew anyway, I'd need it on a podcast? It will not have been fucking me. 15 years this year. Well, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. It'll be like a happy birthday slash yep. anniversary. <laughs> birth anniversary. It's a birth anniversary. <laughs> so <laughs> does your husband read your books? He does not. But he, and that's because he only reads like two books a year. And one is like an 800 page fantasy novel about a wizard. Uh-huh. And then the other one is like a Star Wars novelization. So the kind of books I write okay. are pretty distant from the kinds from of books he reads. anything he wants to read. Yes. Um, and he just pats you and he's like, good job, <laughs> good job babe. You made a book. You he made that. is incredibly supportive. He's just not a reader, but he is a really enthusiastic research assistant. Oh, yeah. oh nice. Yeah. So I, so he does take part in it. That's he nice. Take, he definitely takes part yeah. mostly in sex parts. <laughs> okay. Get over here. That's the fun yeah. stuff. I don't like to write about something that I haven't experienced or, Something close to it. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Sorry is like, Tyler, <laughs> can you edit that? Please edit that laugh I just did. <laughs> you were like, madam. <laughs> Ma'am, this is a family podcast. <laughs> Uh, no, no, it's not. Uh, you just no. lost us our PG rating. Fuck. God damn it. <laughs> oh, fuck. 
Um, so I will be like, you know, I really want to know how this feels. I really want to know if this is practical. Like I write does a lot this of this actually work. Does this actually work? I mean, that's sometimes a... I think about that. <laughs> yeah. I do like, too. That's I'm why like, I gotta excuse know. Excuse me. Her leg is where? Her leg is where? How? What? Right. So if I'm gonna write like I write pretty adventurous sex scenes. Yep. <laughs> Carly can vouch. Um, yep. And so if I'm going to write someone like, I don't know, hanging by their feet from a ceiling fan, like I need to know that it actually works. That was an I, example. I've never done that. I was going to say, okay. does it work? Right. And like what industrial grade, like say, wiring like, is right. in there? Because that's what I'm worried about. And it has to like, be connected. M- like very My sturdy. house yes. won't even hold the fucking the light fixture one, yeah. up. Right. That's a spirit. That's a, it is not a spirit. <laughs> There's not a spirit in my your kitchen. Home. God damn it. <laughs> Well, good for you and your I husband. I sage my home all the time. I like that concept. Of saging or no, uh, of research trying. assisting? <laughs> yes. Trying everything. Yes. Try it so before are, you buy it. There are it. a couple things. I mean, I'm trying I mean, to think of something. That's why your marriage works. Yeah. <laughs> Duh. You know, I, I actually... Mean, no, I shouldn't say that. There's more to marriage you know, than that. But, but I do feel like I feel that like gets to the work. heart of what makes a good marriage is being willing to try new things and let go of things that don't serve you anymore. And there's um, the actress Emma Thompson said that a good marriage is actually multiple marriages inside of one um, because sometimes a marriage has to die. And so a marriage, like it goes through seasons. And so sometimes like the marriage you have will no longer serve you and you have to let it die and you have to bury it and you have to build a new marriage from scratch. And so from the outside, people are like, oh, they've been married for this long. Good for them. But from the inside, you know that it's actually taken cyclical, you know, patterns Mm -hmm. of work and labor. Yeah, I think 100%. My husband and I have been married for, oh God, what year is it? 2020? So it will be... 15 years. Oh, you got it. You're Yes. Oh, we got married not even two <laughs> years ago. <laughs> so you but haven't yeah, had to is. kill your marriage yet and bury no. it. Well, Do I coming. have to kill but Tyler think, first? Think, or... <laughs> Let's not go back to barrels, guys. Yeah. Come on. I love you. No, I think a lot of people, I don't think people understand that there, it's... When you say kill a marriage, that sounds really bad, but it's not. It's just no. It's no, part of that cycle of like of that cycle. figuring out because you know the beginning of marriage is different than where we are now. Having kids adds a whole different level. When they start school, a different like everything is it changes like continually. Not to mention, not just kids, but. Marriage and life in general, yeah, like makes everything so different. Like little things tweak it. Like right. Well, yeah. I think every day you wake up a slightly different person. Like every day you're changing incrementally, and it's maybe not measurable day to day, but over time you are growing into the next iteration of yourself. And I think what has been a struggle for our mom's generation and a little bit for ours, but I do think it's easing up a little bit 
is this idea that women are not allowed to iterate. Women are not allowed to change. Women are not allowed to evolve. And so this idea that, you know, the woman I married when she was 25, how come she's a different woman at 40? How come she's a different woman at 50? I married her because I wanted this placeholder of a human being um, right. to serve my needs and to so be like that's a, that's the getting a younger girlfriend crap. Exactly. And or so boyfriend, I or suppose. Boyfriend. Whatever. So I think that that cultural norm has eased up a little bit for at least for my generation, because I think a lot of my friends have rejected that paradigm, but I do sometimes still see it in play. This idea that you should be a static human being. Um, have you guys read burnout by Emily and Amelia Nagoski? No, I highly recommend it, especially put it like, on my list right now. <laughs> um, right. So the book is called burnout. It's um, and it's really all about like how being women, uh, interact, like how that affects our stress, just like by existing as women and how we can mitigate that stress. And so one of the things they talk about in burnout, which is, uh, I think of as an idea referenced in a book called down girl, which is, um, a book about misogyny is this idea that there are two kinds of people. There are human beings and the job of human beings is to self-actualize, to realize their potential, to, um, explore the world and meet their goals. And then there's human givers and it's a human givers job to meet the needs of human beings, but they are not allowed to grow, evolve, self-actualize. Um, and so I think in our mother's generation, they were expected to be human givers. They were expected to give, um, while everyone else around them got to be a human being, they came last Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the things I love about writing romance is that I get to create a world where that's not even on the table. Like I get to create a world where every person is a human being and every person gets like the justice and the optimism and the happiness they deserve at the end. That makes me happy. <laughs> me too. <laughs> and that's why romance books are like good like a hap a, a happy ending most of the time if something's not a happy ending i get kind of mad at people oh yeah well it's actually the I'm mad the rwa which is in flames right now so yes. don't, don't go google them but <laughs> <laughs> no i already know but um they just want to talk Twitter about is katie mcgee great yes i talked about yeah. it with katie mcgee <laughs> well they define romance as um having to have a happily ever after um, so that is the thing that you have a guarantee with. If you pick up a romance novel, you know that it's going to end with justice and optimism. Oh shit. But you can have all that angst in between. Yeah. But you can have anything in between. <laughs> That's why I, 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 I'm telling you, I've, I've said this before to people that don't really read romance. Yeah, they don't get it. That don't get it. But I, <laughs> I think that is part of what I love so much. There's, unless it's a series. There's always an ending. Right. I don't like non-endings. Sure. It drives me nuts. Yeah. Um, but it's always happy. I I my life isn't always happy. I love happy endings. Yeah. I love like I'm a true romantic at heart. Like I don't love, need romance. Yeah. Like I do, but not in an unhealthy way. <laughs> but like I just like happy endings. I do. I'm just that's who I Will am. Will you say it one more time? I love 
of the massage kind. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Everyone does. <laughs> no, I do, though. It makes, I just, I don't know. Maybe it's corny. Maybe. Don't care. I don't care. Don't I love care. it till the day I, I die. I do. Right. I, I swear to Jesus, though. Like, I've read really good non-romantic novels. Like, like some of my favorites are not romance novels. However, I romance novels give me the roller coaster. Yeah. They give me the, like, I want to throw something. Yes. <laughs> There's that angst where I'm like, oh, I hate you. Like, yeah. what the fuck are you thinking? Yep, yep. <laughs> Do you not understand each other's emotions right now? Listen, Bella. <laughs> Quit looking out the fucking window. Get up and do something. Jesus. But then there's like the happy and the, like, I literally like openly cried. Like, yeah. I just, I, I, oh, constantly. Yes. I'm just like a fucking cry factory now. It sucks. <laughs> The amount of times that I've woken up at like four o'clock in the morning, I'm like, what's a good idea? Let's read. And I'll read. And like by five, there's like tears like rolling down here. And you're like, I'm going back to sleep. <laughs> well, so I don't know if this is true for adults, but when I was having babies back in that uh, dark time, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> um, I remember reading a study about you know, it's okay if your baby cries, like not all the time, don't leave it to like wail alone in a room, but like if your baby cries some, it's okay. And one of the things they had realized was that baby tears contain cortisol and they think it was actually like the baby's body's way of excreting excess cortisol. So instead of that cortisol building up in their system and affecting their entire physiology, you could actually like get some of it out of your system through the tears. And I don't know if that's true for adults, but I know I definitely feel better after I cry. 100%. Yeah. And so I think that like what romance gives is not just the happy ending, but sort of the catharsis of like having kind of purged that, you know? Right. And also I'm not cute when I cry, so I'm not like (laughs) doing it for attention, you know? Like it's, it's always an ugly cry. You don't weep prettily. (laughs) Have you seen me? I don't do anything prettily. You not stop true. Stop it. I just saw some beautiful pictures. That is not you. Are you talking about my butt picture? I'm talking about your butt picture. That things, that things I say to other people. Allowed. Hey, Sierra, I want to see a picture of my butt. I was like, yes, I do. You're like, there's a chain on it. I was like, excellent. Hey, guys. That is the end of part one of Sierra's podcast. So you're going to have to listen next week so you can get to part two. Thanks.